Welcome to another episode of Return on Character Podcast with me, Dan Cooper, your host, founder, and CEO of Rock Investments, an investment strategy that allocates capital into the public markets based on the character of, of the leadership of those companies. I am uh, honored to have with us today Renee Duo, uh, CEO and founder founder of Renee, uh, a company that I'm excited to learn about because I think it's pretty unique. I'm, and I have a feeling the origin story is 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 pretty special as well. Uh, thank you so much for coming on, Renee. I appreciate oh, your my time. My pleasure. Thank you so much for including me. Yeah, Renee, as a as context for what you're doing today. Um, uh, tell us your story. Tell, tell us about how you got started in business. And I know I should actually call you Dr. Duo, Duo right? Instead of just Mrs. Duo or, or Renee Duo. Uh, you're a, a practitioner as well. Uh, how did, how did you, how'd you get to where you are today? Yeah. So, uh, it's true. I am a doctor though. Nobody calls me Dr. Dua for what it's worth. Uh -huh. Um, uh, about, I'd say 20 years ago, I finished medical school and I opted to become a kidney doctor. Uh, my, my father's a kidney doctor. My mother is a general medicine doctor, a family medicine doctor. Neither of them wanted me to be a doctor altogether. They wanted me to be a teacher. But, Why? Well, it's a hard life. You know, being, being a physician is, is a hard life. And especially my mom came here from India. They both came here from from India, but my mother and father, when they came here, there was no internet or cell phone, right? They didn't, mm -hmm. you know, they were a part of a very different culture, religion, you know, community. And then on top of it, they were, they went into private practice. So they were running a business after redoing a bunch of their training again. And so it really, you know, it, it really sort of whipped them into shape. That's not to say that they didn't make enormous successes of themselves, but there was a lot of hard work and there was a lot of sacrifice. And I think they didn't want that for me. They didn't want me to necessarily deal with the things that, that they had to deal with. But I mean, it was, it was sort of in my blood, you know, and I, I went to, uh, when, when you decide you want to be a doctor, I, I was just volunteering at my, my boy's school before I joined our podcast. And you know, I met two little girls who want to grow up and be pediatricians. And that's yes, when it starts at eight and nine years old that you realize, you know, you want to dedicate your life to this calling. And when you do that, you have to be a great student forever, right? You, you know, there are no bees, there are tons of activities and lots of studying. And so when I finished medical school and I decided to do a residency and fellowship to become a kidney doctor, um, I honestly, I did it not just because my father had done it and I had a, a sort of in, but because truthfully, I loved it. I loved the practice hey. of kidney medicine specifically because it is a kidney disease affects the underserved, really affects people who are underprivileged, who do not have necessarily access to care. And I happened to be fluent in Spanish, right? Uh, I still am all these years later. And I happen to love taking care of people who are just so full of gratitude and, you know, respect. I mean, I cannot say enough about the community of patients I take care of. I will never stop practicing medicine thanks to them right? through all the, the interesting things I've done with my life. 
when I when I started practicing, and I, I opted to go into private practice, which nobody does anymore. Um, but when I started practicing and I put up my shingle to to start my practice, I was the only woman who spoke <laughs> fluent, who spoke, you know, read and, and wrote Spanish in my entire community, which incidentally is a huge place. I'm I'm from the San Fernando Valley in Los Angeles, which is enormous. Wow. And I was the only woman, first of all, at full stop. And then I, I happened to be fluent in Spanish. And that, you know, the, the San Fernando Valley is predominantly Hispanic and Latin. And mm -hmm. so I became very busy very, very quickly. And there were points in my career where, you know, I had an office and the line of the patients who were trying to see me would line up. They would line up in the parking lot. I would upset all the parking oh, attendants word. because, you know, there was no there was no room in my waiting room and there was no place for them to stand. And it was just it was busy. So I, I very much enjoyed providing this service uh, and this type of medicine to my community. And I became so busy that I kind of neglected the other part of my life, which was finding a partner and, you know, making a family. And my parents were giving me enormous pressure, which is what Asian parents do, generally. <laughs> and um, after you get the degree, they, you, know, they, you that means check for the rest of the box. That was that <laughs> should have already happened. Um, oh, really? <laughs> yeah, you don't get any credit for that. Um, and I met um, my now husband, and he is a serial entrepreneur. And he saw what I was doing, and he said, you know. You are, first of all, insanely busy. It's too much, right? It, you cannot possibly be a good wife, a good mother, and a good doctor with all of this. It's not It's not practical nor possible. Someone's going to suffer, yeah. which, you know, I didn't want. And separately, he said, have you ever thought about, and I had started a business, obviously, but he said, have you ever thought about how many more people you could help if you started thinking about how software could help your patients. And, you know, the truth is I had already worked with some software. I had, I was also the first doctor in my community to install an electronic medical record system that, uh, you know, not oh to my age myself, but you know, that wow. no one in my community was doing these things. So I had, you know, learned a lot of different software types, EMRs, QuickBooks, you know, trying to make a, an office paperless and wireless and faxless. 20 years ago, that was not a small feat, right? Everyone thought it was crazy. Um, but I had been doing that. And when I met Nick and he asked me to consider using software to improve patient outcomes, you know, I had to really do a heart to heart to think, you know, I am a little bit of a tech savvy person, but am I capable of scaling a business through software? And I, I kind of blew him off for a while. I ignored him for a while and I kept being very busy and seeing my patients. And then we started to make a family, which for us was disastrous. Um, it was, you know, plagued with infertility and, and loss. And it was just an awful yeah. experience. And more terribly, and I'm ashamed to say, it was really a letdown by my own my own people. I had doctors letting me down left and right, you know, malpractice. Yeah. And it was just terrible. It was a terrible experience. Um, and when we finally started to have some success in the department of having children, 
we had constant complications. All of my children were born in NICUs. I nearly died. The anesthesia didn't work. You name it, I had the problem, right? Um, and it went on and on. You know, I'm, I'm leaving half of it off the podcast, right? I don't want to ruin anyone's. But I um, one night had to take one of my sons to an emergency room because a physician at five o'clock on Friday told me, I'm closed. Sorry, I can't help you, right? So I took my son to an ER. He had very high fever. I was freaking out. And we waited about eight hours to see a, a doctor, which is absurd in Los Angeles. And when I finally saw the doctor, who happened to be a friend, he said, Renee, you are a doctor. What are you doing here? Right? You know medicine. Why would you wait here? And I said, well, look, I want to be a mom. I don't want to be a doctor. And I don't want to miss something on my newborn who's a preemie who's, you know, sick, right? I don't want to do that. So in the end, on the way home, you know, I turned to Nick and I said, here's what I'm willing to do, right? I'm willing to have you build me an app. Nick is an engineer. And I want to turn on and off like an Uber driver. And I want you to be my medical assistant. And we will see patients in our community, right? I'll do house calls. And that way, because I can turn on and off, I will be able to dedicate time to our family and appropriate time with our patients. And I won't stress out so much. And that's actually a hilarious story because that's, I thought I was very stressed when I, when I had that, when made that decision to go into software. That company turned into Heal, which spanned 13 states, 300,000 house calls, in-network with more than 25 insurance companies, had $200 oh million dollars in venture capital. We grew it into something wonderful. We had, you know, this was eight years ago now, we had one-touch telemedicine, we had remote monitoring devices, we were seeing children, seniors, we were delivering on, you know, this notion of value-based care. It was a wonderful wonderful company that is now being acquired actually by Humana, a Medicare Advantage plan. So that's the um, sort of the very long story of how- but You are way ahead of the curve there. Way ahead, way ahead of its time, Heal. Way ahead of its time. Very difficult to fund, very difficult to get you know people to invest in because rich people already have their doctor on speed dial doing house calls. Why, you know, why, why should everybody have it, right? Um, so very, very ahead of its time. Um, in the last two years after that experience, I left to start something new with Nick. Uh, he named the company Renee. I'm strategy officer. And Renee is a health assistant. No, nothing but software, not a medical practice. I don't have doctors working for me and we're not delivering house calls. So a very different experience this time. Well, I mean, one of the things that strikes me hearing the story um, is that, I mean, it almost sounds, and I've got to use the right language here, but it almost sounds like you're working in a developing country in your experiences. It, it like, really, I'm like, embarrassed to it, tell you that you're right. Yeah, I mean, but the truth is, is this is the hard reality of a, of, of a lot of American medical medicine, right? Yes, um, it really is. And you know, my wife, uh, she she is a um, a, a, a PA, and she has her uh, public health degree, and she works uh, with the 
with the poorest of the poor in our neighborhood and all the homeless and everything, and that's what she does. And I, it, 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 it takes a, a unique human being to want to work in that arena of, of healthcare. Um, how did you get to the point where you, you felt like that was, you know, the, the arena you wanted to play in? Cause, cause it's, it's not, a, it, it is not an easy thing. Not, not only from the standpoint of just providing care, but just seeing circumstances that, you know, weigh really, really heavily on you uh, in a disproportionate rate than say maybe other populations. How did you get into that? You know, in, in the early days, do you, do you recall how it was yeah. that, that that was the direction you were pulled? Yeah. I, well, the first thing I, I have to do is give credit to my parents who, when they, you know, they come from India, which is a different kind of poverty. Right. And they, right. they gave me the privilege of getting to see how people in India lived back then. It's much better now. Right. But when I was a little girl, I was exposed to people, children begging for food, right? Yes. With no clothes and no money. And it, you know, it imprinted, right, for me. The second part of this is I had the privilege of, of getting into county hospitals for my training. I am fully county trained. Every residency fellowship was all done in Los Angeles's county hospitals. Right. UCLA has a county arm, which I spent a ton of time at. USC is where I did my fellowship. I had gotten so much experience in six months at USC. I could have been a full-fledged nephrologist, right? Just, you know, I didn't need to do two or three years. And when you do take care of and when you are willing to expose yourself to the haves and the have-nots, what you really recognize is life is made by to whom you're born and where, right? Dave. You know, I, I just, I cannot say enough about how much privilege I have and how much my parents did for me and how important it was for me to turn around and give back. It's a part of my self-worth, right? I grew Dave. up with the kind of dad who would see someone pass out at a gas station and drive them to the ER. And I have those distinct memories, right? Um, and there was no way I could have been anything else because I saw that a real doctor, in some cases, in my parents' case, put their patients ahead of their children, right? Um, good or bad, that's who they were. And as I've grown up and I continue to grow in the world of medicine and to see, honestly, you know, not to sound like a negative Nelly, but what a disgrace it's become, right? Right. Um it, it's been very important to me that the people who are suffering get some access to care. That was the entire mission of HEAL, was to deliver access, right? So... Do you think it's improved? It, I mean, were you, was HEAL targeting the, the, the people that didn't have the access, generally? We started with the people who did so we could get to the people who didn't. And as I left I that company, yeah, you have yeah. to make money when you take venture capital, right? But as yep. I left that company, we were operating in Louisiana, in North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, right? Parts of New Jersey, Southeast LA, all over the Bay Area. You know, I have done house calls in heroin dens. I have done house calls in Bel Air, right? Um, but the, the idea was you should not have to struggle to find a doctor who spends time with you and sorts out, you know, what, what your healthcare needs are, right? Right. Right. Well, 
So, so you're no longer with that organization. I'm assuming you said right. You're, yes. You, yeah. Since it's you been lost, acquired. Yeah. You, since you lost Renee, what was the impetus for Renee? Why did you do this all over again? What was the point? You already did something. You yes. should You should just retire. I, you should be with the kids. I, I should the think about retiring. Yeah. Well, I like to be busy, right? I'm a busybody. Yeah. I like to keep very, very active and busy. So that's maybe a problem, right? Um, but two, during this whole, first of all, as I was building Heal, I had multiple children, right? And I became wow. a caregiver for those children. Additionally, I had parents who were aging and I am their primary caregiver. And when I talked... You know, my mother is calling me right now and it's going to be Renee. I have an appointment on Friday. Can you take me? Right. <laughs> or my dad is going to say, Renee, I can't remember why I take this medication or I need a refill. Right. Mind you, my parents are both doctors, but still right. the business of caregiving never stops. And it's an enormous responsibility. Lucky for me, I'm a doctor. I know how to caregive a little differently uh, for my children our parents but i also think there are i know there are millions of people here in the united states that are caregivers with no training they are almost community 100%. health workers right they have no support mm -hmm. they're not being paid for the work they're doing they're doing kind of silly tests sitting on the phone with the pharmacy for 40 minutes to get a refill is absurd totally right? Totally, totally happens waste all the time. time. And, it, and it's the kids. Lots of times it's the kids that end up having to take that on. Absolutely. And it's a totally new dimension and Absolutely. they have no idea what they're doing. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, you know, women who do take this on a lot, we know this because they left the workforce during COVID. W women are the chief medical officer of the house, right? And I wanted to use, now that we have, you know, this incredible world of artificial intelligence, I wanted to use AI to create a health assistant. And so Renee, which is Nick called it Renee, is a health assistant that uses AI to do simple tasks, remind you to take your medications, make sure your refills are picked up and, you know, uh, delivered, make sure your appointments are rescheduled, organizes a ride if you need it, right? All through generative AI. And of course, this, this idea is an enormous undertaking and it's very software heavy. But to me, as we're all getting older, we're not, I'm, I'm worried who's gonna care for us, who's gonna certainly care for my children, right? As we're a part of this sandwich generation. And so it's gonna be software that solves a lot of these problems. So that's, so you're in the mix of launching that now, or is it is it available? Can people it, it will launch in the, the next month? Yeah, it will launch in the next month. Yeah, because I have a my brother-in-law is dealing with the exact same thing. He's got a, an elderly parent, um, and you know, of course, they can't afford to put put him in a fancy nursing home, uh, and so all, all the responsibilities is, is falling on on the kids, uh, and, uh, and it sounds like a a very, very unique uh, and needed uh, tool, you know. In the, in re, in relation to your your business experiences, you know, what or even personal, what do you think was one of the more defining character moments of your life that that has defined you to this day? And maybe we already covered it, but I, I'm just curious. 
There have been many, but one of the most important we did cover, which was the opportunity to travel around the world yeah. and see how people live, right? Um, my parents were very good about taking us internationally, taking us to India. I've practiced medicine in Africa. I have been to places, you know, like South America or Central America and, and been able to see how people live. And I mean, I, I've been in Australia in the bush, right, on the plane that, you know, delivers the, the medical care to the people who are living so far from any hospital or market or anything. I've, I've really been, uh, again, privileged and blessed to see how our neighbors around the world access medical care or don't how they live, their children grow up scrappy or not, how their children survive. I mean, you know, one of the things that is always interesting is here in the United States, we're able to say no to vaccines. We're able to say no to milk, right? We want almond milk. We want soy milk, right? We, we do these things, right? When you go to, you know, Lamu in Kenya, which is a tiny little village, and you see how desperate they are for syringes, right? Forget vaccines, forget milk for a moment. I mean, it's, again, you know, it, it really colors you in ways that I think about, I don't know, once a day at least. And then I think the second thing I'd say is becoming a mother because I've always been a compassionate person. You have to be to be a doctor. But becoming a mother led me to understand compassion very differently, uh, especially being a mother, you know, has lost a lot. And I feel for my patients and their loved ones more than I can, you know, spend the time for a podcast. Right. I, I think about. Yeah. I mean, there's you've gone through it. Survival. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, we can I can relate too. As my wife and I struggled with infertility and all that, and it's it's utterly brutal. Uh, much less having complications afterwards. Um, you know, I would be curious from the perspective of a woman treating patients in uh, in these challenging environments, and your knowledge of the American healthcare system. You know what? What would be the things that you would like to see changed, or how? What are the more innovative solutions you think are out there that we need to pay more attention to? Yeah. So, what I'd like to see changed is the amount of greed in healthcare. Right. Okay. There is enormous greed in healthcare, and when you're looking at insurance companies raking in billions of dollars, and Americans living less long, that's a joke. Right. Something right. is is not aligned there. Um, and the folks that work in, you know, the, the executive suites of these insurance companies, they're again, they're doctors on speed dial. These are the haves. They're going to get access to any care, no matter how, you know, challenging, whatever transplant, whatever chemo, whatever infusion, they're going to get it without a prior authorization, without any BS, without any nonsense. Whereas millions of people who do not speak the language, who do not have the education, who do not have the understanding, who have no idea what their insurance actually covers, which is nothing, right, in, in some cases, are going to suffer. And so are their loved ones, right? And we're not just talking about, 
you know, older people. We're talking about children. We're talking about children who are caregivers. We're talking about mothers who make babies, right? We're talking about people who are managers at a store that, you know, provides all the pharmacy, uh, the, the pharmacy for the community, right? You cannot imagine how important each life is and its success and the importance that that life has the opportunity to to go on, right, and succeed. So <laughs> that that is what I would change, you know, hands down, right? A reflection on how to actually deliver accessible care and maybe lose a little bit of money one year. It's okay, right? Every <laughs> Everything's going to work out. Um, and would then- that, Would that frustration also be within the for-profit uh, hospital care? Yes, absolutely. Just as much as the insurance? Absolutely. Yeah. And the hospital business is is having its reckoning, right? It's It's, you know, the hospital is not a place where you can stay very long anymore. There's all kinds of software coming but, around for hospital at home. The hospitals are getting penalized by Medicare left and right, again, because they've taken advantage for a very long time, right? And and also, I assume their lobbies are not as powerful as, as the health insurance lobbying is, right? Um, but no. I think innovation, billions of dollars were poured into health tech during the pandemic. There's almost been no innovation that has improved healthcare outcomes. Hopefully some of the money that went into mental health will have some improvements. There's been a lot of, you know, what we call pill mills where you get on the phone with a doctor and he prescribes you Viagra or something for your, you know, male pattern hair loss. I don't, I don't find that particularly innovative, right? <laughs> but it exists. Um, I happen to be ahead of the, the pandemic, very innovative in delivering care to the home. Uh, for which I'm right. a huge believer. Um, but it is very expensive to deliver care to the home. And the insurance companies have to be willing to cover it and pay for it and recognize how important it is that people don't have to go to an office setting to get excellent care. So I think there are some innovations. But right now, especially as our market is having its, you know, the the, the market is having its own reckoning. It's hard to see. It's hard to be very, very positive about healthcare at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a it's a pretty discouraging uh, system, and and um, it's been hard to watch some friends having to go through yes. and manage it. It's almost like the legal system, you know. I mean, it's so intimate and it has such huge outcomes on people's lives and yes. the trajectory of not just them but their families. Yes. Um, and that's an emotional topic too, which makes it even more difficult, yes. you know, to deal with. Um, well, you know, the, I, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. I, tell tell us about how we can learn about uh, Renee and 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 uh, if there's somebody out there that uh, resonates with this need, um, how do they how do they get on the front end of of being sure. able to uh, utilize what you're developing? Sure. So you can find us at Renee.com, R-E-N-E-E.com. Our, our mm -hmm. product goes live on May 1. So, and I'd love Me. to have users and I'd love to get feedback. So if you do use it and you do want to reach out to me, my email is R-E-N-E-E -E at Renee.com. And I'd love to hear what you think. Oh, that's terrific. It will well, be free, I already have... It will be completely free. Really? Yes. Yeah, so I think that's okay. pretty awesome too. That's pretty amazing. I well, I have my brother-in-law, and he will be signing awesome. up on May one. Then, I'm glad to hear it. Um, thank you so much for your time, and most of all, honestly, I just you know want to thank you for your passion for 
uh, going after some of the more difficult challenges in the world. I mean, this is, um, uh, I know that, I know a lot of folks like you, and I know the toll it takes, uh, both uh, internally and externally, and uh, I really appreciate what you're doing. So keep it up. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thanks. All right.